Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey everyone, I'm David Kern. Welcome to this episode of The Commons on the Cersei Institute Podcast Network. The education of your child is a commitment that is time-consuming, sacrificial, sometimes overwhelming, sometimes glorious. And at New College Franklin, they respect educational decisions you have made because they desire the same things. Learning based in relationship, the flexibility to craft a curriculum based on what has historically been recognized as true, good, and beautiful, to engage the heart as well as the mind, to seek after virtue, to behold wondrous things and respond in gratitude. What if college not only honored the educational path that you have walked with your child, but actually built upon that foundation and continued what you started. New College Franklin is dedicated to the academic growth and spiritual formation of their students because they desire to shape not only what they will do in the future, but who they will be. New College is a four-year classical Christian liberal arts college in beautiful Middle Tennessee. For more information or to schedule a visit, head over to www.newcollegefranklin.org. That's www.newcollegefranklin.org. With that, enjoy this episode of The Commons. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to The Commons. I'm your host, Brian Phillips, here for another conversation about school life and leadership. I am joined by a very special guest who has come all the way from the other desk in my office. (laughs) I'm joined today by Matthew Bianco. Matt, thanks for joining me today. Well, I mean, it was a big sacrifice having to walk all the way down the hall. <laughs> well, we certainly appreciate your sacrifice and your willingness to give the people what they want, which is always more of Matt Bianco. More Matt. Yeah, more Matt. More Matt. Well, today we are following up on a conversation that Matt and I um, have had off and on for the last couple of months, at least. I Yes, I think that's about right. Matt and I have some very interesting conversations in the office, as you can imagine. Um, And I, I think this is one that took a took on a life of its own. But if I, if I remember correctly, it was a conversation that started about the Harry Potter series. And um, was it really? I think it was um, because the the comment was made by someone that uh, they 
they didn't like the Harry Potter series because of the way the adults were portrayed hmm. in the series. That it that it was the the kids that had to come to the rescue, and so it seemed to undermine kind of that um, not necessarily parental authority but adult authority, hmm. and that that started this whole conversation that Matt and I have had. Um, again, off and on for several weeks now, at least about how parents in particular are portrayed in the media, particular, uh, TVs, uh, TVs, <laughs> television shows, movies, um, and even some book series. And I think this is an issue that's important, not just to parents, but also, uh, becomes important in the life of a school. And certainly in a homeschool. So uh, I just asked Matt to join me today um, to have this conversation for all of you. And, and hopefully we can explore some things that will be helpful. So Matt, let me ask you, when was the first time you remember ever noticing the manner in which parents are portrayed or spoken of in the media? Hmm. Probably the Flintstones. But... But I don't know that I would have noticed like the parents are portrayed in a certain way. Right. Just the portrayal of the parent. I mean, as a kid, right? I wouldn't have noticed, yeah. oh, look, the parents are always this way. I would have noticed this parent is this way. Right. Right. And Fred, of course. Hmm. And then the duck, du- uh, du- DuckTales. DuckTales? DuckTales. Although it's not the dad, it's the uncle, right? Mr. Scrooge. Oh, Uncle Scrooge McDuck. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Huh. So I would have noticed like portrayals of adults. Right. As a kid, I would have noticed portrayals of adults. But I, I wouldn't have been thinking about it in terms of the parents are always portrayed. The parents are always portrayed this yeah. way more generally. I think the, the first time I noticed that it's similar in that it was drawn to my attention. Mm-hmm. It wasn't something that I was consciously thinking of, but it was drawn to my attention when I was probably... Uh, 11 years old, hmm. it was The Simpsons. Like, oh, an, right. an adult. And it was this, from what I remember, yeah. my 11 year old mind, you know, there was this big outcry against The Simpsons because um, and this was from uh, leaders at church. And then also, I think even some teachers, and I was in a public school at the time, but even teachers were warning us about watching the Simpsons because in particular Homer Simpson, the dad is portrayed as just, well, right. He's an idiot. You know, um, he's, um, oblivious to the needs of people around him. I mean, he's selfish. He's, um, he doesn't control his own appetites, you know, for food or alcohol. Um, he's lazy. He's irresponsible. You know, all these things, his kids kind of run over him. So all of those things were, um, were a big deal and, and, and it relatively new, I guess, at least it was the first time I remember ever, ever hearing of that kind of outcry about the way parents were being portrayed or, or spoken of. And it's interesting that we were, you know, we we're planning to record this podcast today. And then we had a, a guest in our office, our, our good friend, Greg Wilbur from new college, Franklin mm-hmm. stopped in. And we were talking to him about it. So we were sort of jotting down some notes, final notes before recording. And, and he mentioned that, um, it, you know, he thought maybe that show was more about Homer 
Mm-hmm. Simpson, sorry, <laughs> more about more about we've got to remember our audience, right? Yeah. Right. Um, uh, more about Homer Simpson than about Bart. But as a kid, I remember thinking this is a show about Bart Simpson. Yeah, yeah. You know, the little boy. Right. And now, as I've gotten older, I tend to agree with Greg that no, no, no. This is about the dad. It was an old person who noticed it. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> sorry, old er, old er, an adult. Sorry, yeah. Greg, if you're listening. Um, <laughs> I apologize on Matt's behalf. Um, apologize for my guest. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know. I don't know if that is because when the show started, I was Bart's age, mm-hmm. uh, and now I'm a dad. You know, to four kids myself. So. I don't know if it's because I'm older now, so I just see it differently or what. But I, I know uh, a friend, um, uh, Courtney, this, uh, Lady Courtney Sanford. She actually does some of the layout work for us, like uh, Lost Tools Writing Level 3. Oh, okay. She did the layout yeah. for that. She told me when she, the very first time she read the Harry Potter series, she was younger. I mean, she was an adult, but she was younger, mm-hmm. that she identified with Hermione. And she mm-hmm. saw herself in Hermione the whole right, way through the book. Right. And then when she read it again years later and her own children were older, she saw herself as Mrs. Weasley. <laughs> <laughs> so she identified Mrs. Yeah, Weasley. Right, as- right. That's interesting. And I think stories that portray characters in very definite ways, you know, it, it has a way of doing that. But anyway, that that's the first time I remember it being drawn to my attention, you know, the way certain characters are being portrayed, in particular, the way parents are being portrayed. So let's talk then about these types of portrayals of parents in particular in the media. You know, we kind of hit on Homer Simpson in particular, at least I did. Uh, But what are some other ways that, that you see parents portrayed in movies and television and even books in particular. So, well, okay. So with, with Homer, you get kind of the fool, the foolish or the yeah. idi- idiot dad, right? Yeah. In some stories you get, the parents are gone. Like they're just, they're not in the story at all. They're either they're, they're dead or right. Like every Disney movie. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. They're, yeah. They're all dead or like I've seen, I've seen one, one show that my kids used to watch, maybe on Nickelodeon or something, I don't remember what it was mm-hmm. called, but where the parents worked overseas and then they, mm-hmm. the, like one of the children was an old, like a young adult. Yeah. And then the other child was a teenager. And so it was like brother and sister living together, um, taking care of themselves without the parents. But, wow. but I mean, the one was old enough to do that right. kind right. of thing. But the parents were both out of the picture, but they hadn't died. They were just gone. So yeah. there's some sort of absentee, version of it there's the idiot version of it and then um the cruel version mm-hmm. of like harry potter has absentee or dead parents yeah but then the replacement parents are cruel right the dursleys right. are right. cruel they're the worst yeah the worst yeah and you see that in you see that in um a lot of times it's like step parents right step mom right. comes in she's really mean. yeah the wicked step mom yeah that. That's a it's a stereotype for a reason, right? Mm-hmm. It's a, a um, it's almost a character all its own, you know, the wicked stepmother. Yeah, yeah, uh, right, right. Yeah, and in in Disney, of course, the that's another early realization I remember is is in Bambi, of course. Oh right, you know, right. <laughs> um, you know everything from Bambi, which is you know well before our time. I mean, you and I are roughly the same age. Um. The Lion King, 
which came out when we were kids. Oh, yeah. Really. Yeah. Right. You know, the dad dying and my kids frozen was another example, right? You have this happy family portrayed. And of course, mm. as an adult, I'm sitting there watching this going, okay, this family's too happy. Yeah, they're doomed. So, and it's a Disney movie. So the parents are going to die, mm-hmm. at least one of them. And they're come to find out it's both uh, because it's Disney, right? So mom, dad, or both are dead. Um, but the absentee parent is interesting too, because um, you mentioned it in terms of uh, the cases where mom and dad might, you know, they might be somewhere else, but um, perhaps a more troubling portrayal. And this is kind of a combination of that idiot parent and absentee parent where there's one who's just oblivious. He was just kind of unaware of what's going on in the lives of their kids. Um, mm-hmm. uh, my wife mentioned to me seeing something, I think it was on social media recently that, you know, if you ever feel like you're a bad parent, just remember the mom in ET, you know, <laughs> who had an alien in her house for weeks or months and yeah. didn't even know it. Didn't even know it. <laughs> <laughs> so let, let that be an encouragement to all of you. Uh, it could always be worse. You could be the mom in ET. But um, you have all these different portrayals. And, and it's interesting to me to, to think about what some of the lessons of those portrayals might be or the impressions that they give. Hmm. And, and Christians, particularly conservative Christians, <clears throat> we're pretty well encouraged to see those sorts of portrayals as an attack yeah, as an intentional, you know, it's the war against the family or the war on the family. So is, is the negative portrayal of parents, whether you're talking about the outright evil, you know, the wicked stepmom or the, the neglectful um, image or uh, the absentee parent or the idiot, the foolish parent. Um, do you think this is the the result of some kind of agenda? Is it really an attack on the family? Is it an attempt to undermine the family structure? Right. Is that a legitimate concern? It feels. It feels like. It, how can it be otherwise? Yeah. I mean. I mean. If you go back to, um, you know what? I guess the fifties, and you've got Leave It to Beaver, and you know those shows. The parents are perfect. They always say and do the right thing. The um, or even even like in the eighties when I was growing up, when we were growing up, uh, was it like Growing Pains? Yeah, right. It was always the Kirk Cameron character who was the bad guy, the the, the one that made all the foolish mistakes. Right, right. and then yeah. and 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 he and his foolishness was often a disobedient act against his, what his parents had told him. Mm-hmm. And then the, it, the show always ended with him recognizing that he had done something wrong and being reconciled to his parents after the the disobedience. Those repentance and reconciliation. Yeah. And And so when you go from those kinds of shows, right? Like leave it to beaver, growing pains, you know, all of these shows where house, full house, (laughs) where the parents are the, the, the the children make mistakes when they're disobeying the parents and then are reconciled to it. When you go from that to the kind of story where, uh, the the kids are the ones that are right mm. and the dads are the ones that are wrong or the kids are, are doing everything right and it's because the parents aren't there getting in the way, it's hard to see that that's not... It's hard to think, yeah. imagine that not being intentional. Right. I, I remember somebody pointed out to me one time that um, there was... There was... Uh, 
you know, I mean, it, it used to be that, that any kind of sexual activity was always off scene, right? Mm-hmm. Off stage, off camera. Literally obscene. Obscene. Right. Obscene. Right. right. Yeah. The obscene was obscene. Um, and, and then, and then when they did show a bedroom, there are always two beds. Right. And there's always one foot on the, you know, they have these rules, right? Yeah. If they're going to be sitting on the bed, one, they have to have at least one foot on the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the very first TV show, if, if re- purported to be the very first television show that showed a husband and wife sleeping in the same bed, like it showed their, their bedroom and there was only one bed in there, mm-hmm. um, is purported to have been the Flintstones. Really? Yeah. So oh, okay. when Hollywood introduces a bedroom where the where the man and the woman would be in the bed together, they do it to children. Hmm. They introduce it to the children first, hmm. right? Because the adults wouldn't have been able to handle it, I presume, is the reason. They would so, have been more aware of it, probably. Yeah, and would have yeah. and probably would have fought against it, right? But the kids wouldn't know. And and so then they can introduce this this pathway toward making television shows and movies more sexualized beginning with the the single bed with children. And then, and I mean, of course now it's, you know, just right. So if that's true and uh, like, even there, like it feels like it, like a war, like an attack, right? Like we're going to change the way you prudes view, life reality sex the world whatever right and we're going to do it through media and we're going to do it with your children yeah um it's hard to it's hard to deny yeah as a conservative christian it's hard to look at that and say no that's not what's happening right you know it just seems too in your face yeah it feels intentional and it's such a consistent kind of narrative right Mm -hmm. um i mean homer simpson is not the only idiot father Right. Um, the Flintstones, it feels so funny saying that the Flintstones is certainly not the only example of when those sorts of topics or aspects of life are introduced too early. You know, now, I mean, we're having the debate about whether eight year olds should be required to have sex education classes, you know, in public schools, in schools in yeah, some states. Right. So, I mean, it, it's hard to see that there's not this attack, uh, that it's not intentional, that there's not um, a kind of war on, um, the family structure at the same time. I, the thought occurred to me that, you know, maybe there's an alternative way to look at this. And I just want to throw this out here. I'm, I'm fully aware. Go on. Yeah. (laughs) Fully aware that I could be wrong, but the thought occurred to me, um, and, and this really comes through, um, my, my own works is kind of, anecdotal, you know, as, as a, mm. as a pastor, uh, in, and in working in education with Cersei and meeting a lot of teachers and a lot of, uh, homeschooling parents, I, I just want to throw this out here, uh, for the sake of conversation. Is it, is it possible that, that it's just storytelling has come along and, and that, that storytelling is, you know, a, as a, as a discipline learns and reacts to the generation before it. Hmm. Um, so for example, you, you brought up leave it to beaver where you have this idyllic setting and, you know, mom and dad are somewhat perfect 
um, the siblings rarely fight. And when they do like our homes, right? Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Mom and dad are perfect. Siblings, siblings rarely fight just like all of you, you know, all of our listeners, just like your homes. Right. Um, and any conflict that they do have is relatively minor and resolved within 30 minutes. Right. And counting commercial breaks. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Counting commercial breaks and then life goes on. Right. Right. So just like life itself. Yeah. Um, so here's the alternative I want to pose in my own life as a father and in the lives of many people that I know and, um, have, have worked with and talked with, we all feel this sense that we are so imperfect as parents, you know, as mothers, Mm -hmm. as fathers, as husbands, wives, as a family, right? We see our flaws, we see our faults, and they're just glaring to us anyway. Is it possible that the people who are writing these books, book series, television shows, movies, is it possible that they're just moms, dads, husbands, wives, sons, and daughters like we are, who are writing stories that are more consistent with actual life? And so you Hmm. see the idiot father because whoever's writing these stories are like, you know, as a dad, I sometimes feel like an idiot. You know, I feel Mm -hmm. like I don't know what I'm doing. My own sin, my own failures, my own flaws are glaring to me. And I'm going to write a show that draws it, Mm -hmm. you know, draws it to light and puts a comic spin on it. You know, is that a possibility? Is it, is it possible that as Christians, we're being a little too sensitive and we really should see this as more honest, storytelling that we're just not embracing because we don't like being reminded of our own faults. Right. So that I, you could be, you might be onto something because every, well, it reminds me of a podcast episode that David, an interview David did with Alyssa Wilkinson. Mm-hmm. And she's the author of, or she was the co-author is the co-author of the book, um, how to survive the apocalypse. The, the zombie apocalypse, right? Maybe it does have zombie in there. I can't it remember. Yeah, have zombie. It, it should. Yeah, she. They. It <laughs> <laughs> a big opportunity no if, it, if it doesn't. And in that book and in the interview, she talks about how the stories they cover a bunch of TV shows and movies and books mm-hmm. um, in the story or in the book. And she talks about how she and her co-author talk about how these. It's all stories that are that are either post-apocalyptic, apocalyptic, anti-hero. Mm-hmm. Uh, dystopian, whatever, right? They're those kinds of worlds. And she says that they argue that those stories are coming out of what we are feeling in our souls. So our souls feel like they're existing in a post-apocalyptic world where nothing's real. Mm -hmm. And and then the kind of stories that emanate from that are these kinds of stories, anti-hero, dystopian, whatever. So if, if she's right and... And the book and the interview I make the claim pretty compelling that 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 seems like it would be a parallel or fit exactly with what you're describing, right? That in my soul, I feel like I'm not present enough, mm. I'm not smart enough, I'm not good enough, I'm not um yeah, I'm not wise good, enough. present, yeah. or wise enough, yeah. right? Any of those three things. Like what that's what we said, right? They're, yeah. They typically are described as either evil 
in the case of like the wicked mm-hmm. stepmother, mm-hmm. absentee in the case of the dead parent, like Ham- uh, Hamlet, um, well, Lion King, <laughs> which is Hamlet, yeah, like the Lion King, or um, or foolish or yeah. unwise, right? Like Homer. I feel those three things at any given moment. Sure. And so the kind of story that would come out of my soul would be a story where the guy that I would identify with is either evil, absentee, or foolish because that's what I think of myself as, especially as a parent. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. Go on. That's an interesting alternative. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's not, I'll bite. (laughs) (laughs) And see that the, the hard part about that is that it's so much easier and th- this is what is really troubling for me. And, and that's why I'm insisting on doing this in a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> it's because um, I would much rather put on my Christian protester hat mm-hmm. and just be angry <laughs> at the portrayal. Yeah. Instead of wrestling with the fact that sometimes that's me. Yeah. And, and I'm not a good dad or a good husband, or, you know, I, I need to see those examples of what not to be so that I'm reminded of what I ought to be. Yeah. Right. Um, and when you put the comic spin on this, it's, it's a way of addressing it in a way that calls you to be better, that, that calls you to be something different without it feeling like a, you know, a sledgehammer against the mm-hmm. head. I mean, it's, that's the thing about comedy is that it can teach you. It just teaches you in a, a different way right. than tragedy does. Um, and so I wonder if we're doing ourselves a disservice by just writing this off as all this, you know, yeah. political attack on the family, when in reality, we might be able to look at some of these stories and go, well, what should he have done? Yeah. You know, what could he huh. have done to be better? You know, the stories where the, where the kids are the heroes and the, heroes, the, the kids have to do it themselves, bail themselves out of trouble, instead of being angry and saying, well, why didn't they just listen to, the, to you know, the, the headmaster, you know, or the father yeah. or whatever, <clears throat> whoever it was, you know, it's easy to write them off and just be mad because that's what our culture does, right? right. Sign a petition. Right. You know, just be upset, post it on social media. Change my, um, change my profile pic on Facebook. There you go. That's much easier than saying, what did the father in that story forget mm-hmm. about what it's like to be 12 years old? It, you see what I mean? Yeah. yeah. It, it's interesting because I, I think what you're saying, like where, where I want to watch the story and say... Look, here's a story where the kids are being taught, the kids are being told by the movie maker or the TV show maker that you don't need parents. You can do this without them. Right. But in re- but what if the actual message to me is to me and the story and the message is you're not as evil as that guy or you're not as absent as that guy mm-hmm. or you're not as foolish as that guy. Mm-hmm. And and but in in that story those kids turned out okay. How much more so in your story right. where you're not as evil, you're not as absent, and you're not as foolish? You're actually trying. Yeah. 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 Um, and it's actually a, yeah, it's a comic, it's a comedy mm-hmm. in the whatever Shakespearean or, you know, the classical sense. Yeah. It's a comedy in which we can see the po- potential impossibility for reconciliation, for the wedding, for the good, right. the happy, the happy ending, because 
the kids turn out okay and because we are not as evil absentee yeah. or foolish yeah huh huh well that's a and, and <laughs> that makes sense for what what greg was saying that that often those stories l- look like they're about bart simpson but they're actually about homer mm. Right. It's the, the story is not, hey, Bart or hey, Bart's of the world. You don't need Homer because he's a fool. Yeah. The story is, hey, Homer's of the world. Bart needs you. Yeah. Bart yeah. needs you. Yeah. The Barts need you. Dang. Well, uh, you know, and here's the thing it, we're all, all of these responses are guesses. Yeah, you know, I mean, yeah. we can't peer into the souls of the writers of all these stories and know right. what their motivation was for writing every one of these. And I'm sure that there are plenty of examples of bent stories where, yeah, sure. they are trying to attack right uh, moms, dads, teachers, headmasters, whatever. I'm, I'm sure that that's quite possible. It's yeah. so funny that I'm headmasters still, in that list. I know. I'm, <laughs> you can tell I'm, I'm definitely thinking of Harry Potter here. Um, but I'm also keeping my audience in mind, right? Um, yeah. So I'm sure that's possible. But it doesn't mean that um, there aren't valuable lessons there. And I, I think right. that um, there could be, you know, regardless of the motive behind them, there, there's an impact to these portrayals that we all need to pay attention to. Um, and so it's a reminder to us about how these portrayals can affect our, you know, children, parents and spouses, and even schools. You know, so what do you think some of these impacts are? What if the reason that we see it as an attack on culture and, and specifically the pro-family Christian, conservative Christian, whatever culture, is because we're looking at the Disney movies and TV shows today, and we're comparing them with the TV shows of the 50s. We're, We're comparing, because we're comparing The Simpsons to Leave it to Beaver, what if we compared The Simpsons or Harry Potter or whatever to the fairy tales of old? Right, like, oh, like yeah. the '50s might actually be some weird exception yeah. that st- that were stories where where parents were all were portrayed prop uh, problematically, or well, in the '50s they're perfectly right. they're portrayed oh, perfectly, yeah. which is could be yeah. problematic to somebody who's imperfect watching it. Um, whereas the stories of old are stories where you have evil stepmothers, mm-hmm. absentee parents. Um, I mean, the the uh, Rumpel, the story of Rumpelstiltskin. Mm-hmm. With um, the father right. foolishly telling the king, my daughter can weave straw into gold. There's a foolish father if I've ever right. met one, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, like those stories are representative of, I mean, those stories have the parents who are, who are foolish, absentee, or mm-hmm. wicked. And, and, that's, and that goes from, you know, Aesop all the way to, sure. I don't know, the 1900s, the 1920s. 18 18 and 1900s yeah and then and then you have these these this weird time of life where all the stories especially the 50s are like leave it to beaver stories and now we're actually going back to the way stories mm-hmm. had always been told but because we're not remembering those older stories we see it as oh you're attacking the family you need to be like leave it to beaver was but leave it to beaver was actually right the variant the, the variant anomaly yeah yeah, yeah. That's a good point. 
And I, I think it was also with fairy tales, there was also a very strong connection between the parents and the children having a common heritage of knowing the same stories. Mm-hmm. You know, they had this understand. they knew the same tales, they knew the same characters. And so you could have parent and child learning through these tales together. Whereas now it's, um, pardon the overstatement, but TV is a babysitter, yeah. right? Yeah. So you sit your kid in front of the TV and you're done. You don't really know what portrayals are there, what messages are being taken in. And so rather than it being this common heritage of fairy tale, this common heritage of story where mom and dad are learning um, and sons and daughters are learning and they can talk about these same tales together um, and see the flaws in the characters Mm. that they relate to. Now there's, there's not that commonality. You have explicitly children's stories, children's movies, children's television shows, mm-hmm. broken down even to age range, right? Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. um, instead of everyone learning through this common heritage of story together. And right. I, think, I think the segmenting of all of that, like you're talking about that lack of historical awareness of, you know, um, and the lack of those common stories, we don't really know how to interpret these things and to live them out together where we're all talking about them and, and learning and, you know, improving and taking these as, as caution or model or, you know, whatever it might be together. Yeah. I I had a friend that, uh, that wouldn't let her daughter watch a particular Disney show. And I remember her telling me, or telling me and my wife that she didn't um, like that show because the, the the main character of the show, the daughter of the show, was was always disobeying what her father said, hmm. um, and then she didn't want her daughter to learn to be disobedient in that way. Right. What's interesting is that that particular show, whatever it was called, um, I had watched that show with my daughter multiple times. I've seen a lot of episodes of it actually, and I still can't remember the name of it. Um, but the, uh, but it's, it's actually the opposite of what we're describing. It's, it was a show from the 2000s or the 2000 teens, but it was a show where the father was always right. And the daughter, every time the daughter disobeyed, she was disobeying her father. And every episode ended with her learning her from her mistake and going back to her dad and saying, I should have listened to you. Yeah. And so it was actually kind of more like the leave it to beaver style or whatever, right. or the growing pains or whatever. And yet it was still um, objected to because of the disobedience of the daughter. It, it seems almost like, almost like we are to go back to that first portrayal. And again, I get like, as I mean, as I was saying, right, I was, I mean, I was saying like, it's how can you not see it as an attack on the family? Yeah. But maybe that's the problem is that we've, we've conditioned ourselves to see everything as an attack. Mm-hmm. And then we're missing out on the goodness of yeah. Cinderella, yeah. Snow White, Rumpelstiltskin, right? Yeah. <laughs> Except now it's stories like those being told you know, today in television and movies. And they're almost always remakes, Yeah, right? Lion yeah. King. I mean, we joked just a minute ago that it's Hamlet. What, what do you do? You know this story. Can you correct this for me if I'm if I'm remembering details wrong? But there's some story about I think it was Andy Wilson 
I think it was Andy Wilson was at a, a meeting with mo- Hollywood movie makers or something and was like, was at a table, like a board table where, with a group of people from Hollywood and they were discussing ideas for a new movie they wanted to make. Hmm. I don't know why he was there and um, it might not be him. So I hope it, I'm not, whatever, but whoever it was, some, it was somebody like Andy Wilson mm-hmm. said that at this meeting, they, somebody pitched a story or I think he pitched a story and it was a story of like, I don't even remember. Uh, it was a Shakespeare play, mm-hmm. but he basically told the story of the Shakespeare play and said, we should make this. I mean, you could make a movie like, that tells this story mm-hmm. and everybody was like, that's brilliant. How did you come up with that? And he's like, it's Shakespeare. It's Romeo and Juliet or whatever, you know, whatever the play was. Yeah. And they had no clue. Like, Hmm. they're not they they don't even know the right. story you know they don't they don't even know the stories and i i think his whoever it was their point was kind of like hard to believe that these guys are masterminds of a conspiracy yeah. against yeah. christianity or the family when they we don't even give them too much too much yeah, yeah 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 that was kind of his yeah. whoever it was that was seemed to be the point of their story yeah well it could be it could be um, and I, I think this is something that we need to at least think about. And I, I mean, one of the takeaways from this that um, I think is important for our audience, whether you're a homeschooling parent or a, a teacher, or headmaster, or um, just an interested bystander, um, yeah. <laughs> um, is that I, I think we need to take more seriously the need to see story as an opportunity for us to see ourselves. Mm-hmm. And to learn and 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 be willing to see ourselves in an unflattering light, um, I think. And I I, I don't want to take a you know a long rabbit trail here, but I think part of the problem is that for too many of us in the Christian world, to speak more specifically, I mean, I'm I'm a reformed Christian, and. I mean, like from the Reformed tradition. Not from, <laughs> I was going to say, wow, this yeah. is interesting. Go on, tell me more. I used to be a Christian. Now I'm Reformed. Um, <laughs> no, um, but, you know, in the evangelical world, in American Christianity, there's the tendency to take offense, to politicize everything. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think there's this, theologically speaking, um, liturgically speaking, there's, we've lost the need for confession and repentance. You know, in, in our, in our church, every Sunday, we, we have a corporate confession of sin. We all kneel, we pray silently, we pray corporately, you know, to confess our sin. Um, but I think that there's a a general discomfort about those sorts of things. And so it's far easier for us to take offense anytime we think that the quote unquote traditional is being attacked, mm. but we don't seem to realize that you no, know, the, the real traditional in, involves us being honest about who we are, you know, mm-hmm. seeing the need to confess our sins, seeing the need to, to seek reconciliation and repentance and putting it in those terms reminds me of, of, of something that's true of myself that might explain this a little bit. When I, when, when, well, I, I suppose I'm not the only one, but I'll put it in terms of me. The likelihood that I'm going to listen to a sermon that's about, especially if it's a sermon about sin, mm-hmm. 
and hear the sermon and think of all the people around me that it applies to, <laughs> pretty high. I mean, the likely it's pretty high. Yeah, yeah. Like that's how I'm going to hear the sermon, right? Like, oh, he's talking to John right now. Yeah. Oh, Sarah, I'm telling you, I hope she hears what he just said, right? Something like yeah. that, you know. And um, what do they call them? Pitchfork sermons, right? Or you just pick up what's being and you throw it <laughs> to someone else. <laughs> I didn't know there's a name for them, but yes, that's that's what I'm describing. Yeah, yeah. So, so if I have that tendency with the sermon. Isn't the same tendency likely when I'm watching these stories yeah. for me to see, watch the story. And instead of seeing, wait, I am a foolish dad. Right. I see, nope, this is what the story's telling, telling my kid. And so I only see how it applies to the people around me rather than how it applies to me. Right. So then I think of it as they're trying to corrupt my child rather than they're trying to correct me. Just yeah. the same way I would this the, the sermon. The only sure. difference with the sermon is that it's not trying to corrupt my child; it's trying to correct some other person in the right, church or whatever, right, you know. But right. but I, 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 only there does the analogy break down. I think. Yeah. Well, it's um, to complete that that old saying. I can't believe you never heard. I've that. never heard that really. Yeah. Um, that you need to put down the pitchfork and pick up a rake. Mm. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you need to draw this into yourself, not throw it to someone else. Um, I can't believe it. that's an old Baptist thing. And we both are used I know, to be Baptists. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we, both, we both used to be um, Reformed Baptist. Yeah. <laughs> in the other way. Right. In, yeah. the, in the other way. Lowercase r. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's a real temptation, isn't it? To take mm-hmm. it and, and to throw it to someone else. And maybe these stories are calling us to take a closer look at ourselves than we're comfortable doing. Yeah. Um, so this, this leaves us with a lot to think about. I think as, as, uh, teachers, as parents, spouses, um, you know, these are things that, uh, you know, when you see these portrayals, maybe the, maybe the key is not, um, just getting angry and throwing them to the side. Maybe the key is saying, well, where's, where's the truth in this? You know, how am I, is this hitting a little close to home, which is why I want to discard it. You know, it's making me uncomfortable. Um, Mm. but why? Yeah. And why is it making us uncomfortable? And that's that's kind of the question. The that real I reason, yeah. Really want to wrestle with. So, um, I think that uh, one of the keys might be in our homes and in our schools creating this common heritage of story again. Mm-hmm. You know, the fairy tales, the the great books are a, a good place to start with this. To have this these common conversations where we can see ourselves in all of these characters. And as we get older, that may change, you know, the character we relate to might change. Um, but the story and the conversation around that story can remain the same. And, you know, maybe instead of seeing all of these stories and portrayals as a threat, granted, some of them might be, but instead of seeing them all as a threat and an attack, see them you know, through how they might be able to, to help. And, yeah. and change and improve all of us. I wonder how our kids would, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know if it's possible for them to be as completely honest with us with something like this, but I mean, I don't mean our children are dishonest necessarily, but to ask them something like, I mean, if you, if you were to ask them when they see that parent, hmm. do they see me in that parent? Yeah. Like when am I foolish like that? Yeah. When am I strange like or absentee like that? When am I evil like that? Mm. Uh, am I you know? But I, but I, you know, it may be hard for a, especially a younger child to say, "Yeah, you're evil, dad." Like that. I mean, they're not going to have 
Right. I'm going to be honest in that way. And they're not going to be as nuanced in that way either, in that sense either, you know? So it would be hard to, to get a, a, probably a helpful answer, but it could also be scary to get yeah. an honest answer. You may get a, you may get an answer you don't want. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think a lot of that starts though. This is, a, these are gradual things. This mm-hmm. takes time, but I think a lot of that can be solved eventually or it can be improved. I shouldn't say solved. It can be improved by just that incremental honesty and openness mm. with our, with our kids, um, even with our students, you know, um, in a classroom setting, um, with my own kids, you know, there are times I lose my temper. I raise my voice. I know you're completely shocked, Matt, and all of the listeners are, I apologize. <laughs> I've completely ruined your, your image of me, but I sin, you know, I disobey God. Sometimes yeah. I'm not a good dad. I'm not as patient as I should be, or I'm short tempered or whatever. You, know, you you could fill in the blank and it's probably, you know, been all of it at one time or another. Um, but there are times I have to sit my kids down and I just have to apologize. Mm. I have to confess to them. I raised my voice. I lost my temper. I wasn't patient. I said something I shouldn't have. You know, I was, uh, I was absent in the moment, you know, you're trying to talk to me and I was responding to an email or text message or whatever. And I think in, in being transparent with them in that sense, we're creating a culture in our home that can be a little bit more honest. Yeah. Um, and as we do that with each other, uh, it, it, it cultivates that awareness, that sensitivity, that openness to be able to see where do we need to change? Where do we need to repent? Where do we need to, to learn, hmm. uh, you know, about ourselves and about each other. And so I think that can happen just one conversation at a time uh, in the classroom. It's the same way. I can remember having a, um, you know, a group of students. It was a first period class at Covenant Classical School in Concord, North Carolina. You know, <laughs> and I woke up. I wasn't feeling well. I think we had a newborn at the time, <laughs> so I hadn't slept well either. And I, I think it was a Monday morning. Of course, it's always a Monday morning, right? <laughs> and I was in a bad mood, and I was struggling. I mean, I. And I finally just stopped teaching at one point. And I just told my students, I was like, guys, let me just apologize to all of you. I, I try never to let my own circumstances or how I feel or how tired I am. I try not to take that out on you guys. And I've mm. done a terrible job this morning. So I just want to say, I'm sorry. We've got the baby at home. I don't feel well. I didn't sleep well. So if I'm being really irritable with you, I'm sorry. Yeah. You know, and it completely turned that whole class period around. Hmm. You know, they were all kind of laughing about, yeah, I've got a little brother. I've got a little sister. You know, they were, (laughs) I woke up on the wrong side of the bed this morning too, you know, and they just appreciated the fact that I was willing to say, I'm human. Yeah. Yeah. And I realized despite being the authority in the classroom, despite being the teacher, I'm sinning. I'm not doing right by you guys. Yeah. I'm taking something else out on you and I'm sorry for that. Yeah. And that opened up a whole other, you know, part of uh, um, <clears throat> the relationship between us where hmm. instead of it, it did not undermine my authority to them. No. Right. If anything, it strengthened it. Yeah. And um, so I think that, I think that's an important, dynamic that we often just leave we we just ignore it 
So hmm. that's a tough lesson to learn, but it's one that I think would do us all some good. Man, yeah. that's, that's the point though, right? Like if we, if we bring those, if we make those, like you said, the common story and I'm watching, I'm watching the Simpsons with my child, mm-hmm. then, then that creates opportunities perhaps for me to be able to say, oh man, I've been that dumb before. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so sorry, you know? Right. Hmm. Yeah. And I don't, um, I remind myself of that story, not because I want the listeners to think, oh, Brian's the perfect model of this, but, but just because that story stands out in my mind because I can think of how many more times I should have done that. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. how many more times I should have actually just admitted, yeah. man, I'm way off base here, you know, so... Well, Matt, thank you so much for joining me for this conversation. I know that we're leaving our audience probably with more questions than answers, but that's part of it, yeah. right? That's part of it. So, and thank you to all of you for joining and for listening in on the conversation today. I hope you've enjoyed it. hope you are left with, whether it's just questions, at least questions that'll be valuable to ask and, and wrestle with. And I uh, hope you'll tune in again next time. For now, I'm your host, Brian Phillips. On behalf of Matt Bianco, Thanks again for joining us and we'll talk to you again soon on the comments. Bye-bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.